to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, writes in verse 4, prayer. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm or strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Let's read that again. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Parents often tell me that they never stop being parents. They always wait up on their kids. When you're coming home from the ball game on Friday night or after band is over, they don't go to bed. At least one of them doesn't go to bed until they hear that car pull up in the driveway. Or when you're leaving for work, they want you to text them when, they, when you get to work and all of those things. Melanie and I even experience this to this day. They, our folks, they want us to call or text when we arrive somewhere if we're traveling. doesn't matter where it is. Some years, well, it was uh, 17 years ago, we had our 10th wedding anniversary. This is 27 for us this year. And on our 10th wedding anniversary, we planned a trip to St. Lucia, so we had to fly out of the country. We forgot to tell our parents we were traveling. And they were wondering where we were. And this is before smartphones and all of that. When we arrived back home, boy, did we get an earful. They never cease being parents. I believe the Apostle Paul is as a parent to the churches he planted. He didn't have biological children, but he sure had a lot of children in those churches. He would go to a major economic center like Athens or Corinth or Ephesus. He would take often somebody with him as a mentee and would start churches and train that mentee to do the work there and train leaders, and then he would go on to other places to continue and repeat the process. Paul remained connected with the churches through written correspondence or verbal communication through leaders when he would meet with them. In his letters, he offered thanksgiving, and he offered prayer and encouragement and sometimes warning to the churches. Often it would be like a letter that you might write to a college student or one of your children as they're a young adult getting out into the world, trying to encourage them to be strong and to do the right thing. On Paul's second missionary journey, he went to the city of Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. Corinth was considered one of the two major cities in the Roman Empire, the other being Rome itself. Corinth was strategic for Paul. It was strategically located geographically. It was situated on a strip of land, narrow land, between the Aegean Sea and the Adriatic Sea with two adjoining ports. Corinth is an isthmus. And students, if you know your geography, you know that an isthmus 
is a strip of land that separates water on either side. And Corinth separated those two seas. And it was a a major shipping center, economic center. Ships would come from one direction or the other, and they would be offloaded and then pulled up onto a road called the Diolkos, kind of a gravel, crushed gravel road. The ship would be pulled up onto logs that would roll across the isthmus about four miles. The ship would be put back into the water, reloaded, and then onto its journey. You can imagine the taxes that were collected there. You can imagine it being a seaport town, all of the stuff that went on there. It was a major place. Paul strategically went there. There, There's a modern-day canal that was cut through in the late 1800s, but back in that day, it was not so. Corinth's center made it possible to pass from east to west or vice versa without going around the bottom of that part of Greece. It saved days on their trade routes. Crowded markets, sights and smells made it a very cosmopolitan city. There was tremendous prosperity there, which made it a center for luxury and immorality, as some writers say. There were many pagan temples contributing to what we would call today the vice and the the despicable practice of human trafficking. It was in this place that God called the Apostle Paul to bring the gospel, and he would plant churches there. Paul reached people in the synagogues when he went, but he was run out of there and eventually began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Many people believed and were saved, according to the writer of Acts, Luke, In chapter 18, if you read that part of the book of Acts, you can see the uh, trip that Paul made to Corinth unfold and how he, he ministered to people and grew the church there. He was there a year and a half doing his work. He met Priscilla and Aquila, fellow tent makers in Corinth. They became influential leaders in the church there and followed Paul to Ephesus where they met Apollos. And you'll read about Apollos in 1 Corinthians as we go through these next several weeks. Priscilla and Aquila uh, mentored Apollos, and then Apollos was sent back to Corinth to work with the churches. All the while Paul is in Ephesus, word came to him from some of the leaders in the Corinthian church that there were a lot of problems. He had only been gone maybe a couple few years, and then he learns of all of these problems, this division that was happening in the churches. People were choosing their favorites in the church, sort of like following political candidates, but in the church, people that they had as their favorites. They were mistreating the poor. They were suing one another and using secular court systems to decide to make their decisions rather than doing it in the way that Jesus taught. Worship was mishandled. It was irreverent often. And immoral, immoral behavior was reported. Many of the Christians had drifted back into their former pagan ways. So Paul writes them, what we now have is 1 Corinthians, practical insights and some corrective teachings. As you've already heard in the text, he didn't begin with harsh words though. He began as a loving parent or a loving pastor would with words of grace and words of encouragement and words of prayer. Maybe we... Folks who have kids might learn from that that we don't need to start off with harsh words. 
when we discipline, maybe we need to start off a little bit more gracefully and lovingly, and maybe that could have better results. In his initial remarks, he reminded them of their identity, that they were followers of Jesus Christ, and that they were a church. And these words will set up our study as we go through the first three chapters this winter here at HRBC. I believe that Paul's words were important then, and I believe that they are equally as important to us today. For example, this Friday we will inaugurate a new president of the United States of America. And unless you have been away out of the country somewhere not reading anything or on any kind of social media, there is division in our country. There is division among Christians about our political landscape. Partisan division in our nation. Division among Christians over what is best for our country. Recently read an article by Mark Golley, the editor of Christianity Today, and he writes of the division that we see among Christians, and I quote, each side in an attempt to support or challenge an unprecedented and tenuous administration will inevitably find itself at odds with others. Some Christians will call for eternal vigilance, looking for signs that the new president is promulgating yet another injustice. Others will be tempted to defend his every move. Inevitably, he writes, the rhetoric will drift toward the apocalyptic and remain mired in the partisan. And the name that will be continued to be above every other name will be someone other than Jesus. Wow. It is my hope that Christians in our world, in our nation and in our world, Christians far and wide, will be able to unite for the common good. That we will put our differences aside, the things, there are things we can agree to disagree on, and that we will pray for our elected officials. That we will pray for our new president. That we will pray for all three of the branches of our government that we will continue to live our lives in this land according to the example that Jesus has set for us in his own life and through the Gospels, that we will focus on the main thing, preaching the good news to the ends of the earth, loving the Lord God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God to quote the words of the prophet Micah. So, like the Christians at Corinth, we need encouragement. I need encouragement. We need the words of Scripture to help keep us focused on the main thing. We find help in the ancient words that Paul provides us today. Reminders for today's Christians. Number one, that we are set apart as you saw in the video, we are set apart for something far greater than what we can imagine or ask. Verse 2, Paul says that the Christians were a church. He reminds them who they are. But he also reminds them whose they are. He said, you are a church of God. You are a church, but you are a church of God. And they happen to be in Corinth. So he says who you are. He says whose you are. And then he says where you are. Let us never forget that. We are the church. We are the church of God. We are the church of God called Huguenot Road Baptist Church set apart to be in North Chesterfield, Virginia to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We are a church. 
We are a church of God. We are the church of God here in this place. We are called out and we have a calling. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be holy. We are called to be different. But we are not to do that on our own effort because that is the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to be sanctified and holy to do the work of Jesus. We are set apart. We are called, number two, to a greater purpose. You see in verse 2b that the church was not called to a specific location and place only, but rather together, koinonia, with all those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord our God. The Greek is soon, pos, ein, pos, tapas. And that means with all in every place. We are called to a greater purpose. It's not just one church, it's the global church. We have a greater calling with Christians everywhere to be about righteousness and holiness and redemption to the entire world. That's our message. We've got to remember that we are much more than just us. There's one church I remembered reading about as I was preparing the message and I searched my files and I found the clipping. It's an old Times Dispatch article and it's, uh, the writer spoke of ha- Hanover Avenue Christian Church that had to close its doors. The church was a merger between the Main Street Church and the West End Church. And their history says that over the years as they worshipped, the Main Street people sat on one side of the sanctuary and the West End people sat on the other side of the sanctuary. Yes, the church did some growth and some good things, but eventually the church died out and it it was sold and now it's condos. And I, you can see this in, in Richmond if you go down and see it. They're condos. It breaks my heart to see a church become condos. Now, we know sometimes churches have to move because they don't have any room to grow their landlocked. But how often do you read a story in a metropolitan city of a church that has to close its doors and sell because it just died? And I wonder how much of that DNA of being separate in one sanctuary, sitting apart, had to do with their declining vision and mission in that area of Richmond. Maybe churches could learn from that, that we don't sit apart, but we're supposed to be set apart to do greater things. It's not just about the church in one area, it's the global church. We need to be reminded also that we serve a God who is faithful. Verses 4 through 9 remind us that God provides what we need to fulfill the assignment that He gives us. Verse 5, we are enriched in every way. Paul borrows sort of an economic word so that we are enriched by God. Verse 7, that we do not lack any spiritual gift. We don't lack anything to do the work He calls us. Where God leads us, He will provide the giftedness and the work. And then verse 8, that God will keep us strong so that we will be blameless for when the time of Jesus comes. Like the Corinthians, we've been given the fullness of God's grace, the peace and strength to do the work of God. Though diverse, we are all on the same team. This reminds me of the story of the United States Olympic hockey team in 1980. You remember all the other hockey teams had professionals, but ours were college guys. And the coach struggled with getting the team to be a team. 
And he started in their practices making them skate sprints. And in one particular practice, they were exhausted, completely exhausted. And the coach would say, who do you play for? And the players would respond, their college or university. Who do you play for? I play for my college or university, whatever that mascot was. Who do you play for? And they would continue. And finally, one player was down on the ice, and he heard the coach ask that question again, and it came to him, and he said, I play for the United States of America. And that was the turning point in their journey. They got it. And they came together realizing that they didn't play for all of these different colleges and universities, but they played for the United States of America. And they went on to beat the, the Soviet Union in that game and went on to beat Finland to win the gold medal in night. 1980 in the Olympics. Some say that that was the greatest victory ever in sports. Some say in United States sports. People know it is the miracle on ice. What about Christians? Uh, I'm from this church. I'm from that church. And I believe this and I believe that. And I think politics this, politics that. What will people say about the church today? Can we set the example to be set apart for the greater purpose of God's kingdom work that we are the church, that we don't play for ourselves, that we play for the church that God has ordained on this earth? We are called to be different. We are called to greater things. We are called to do our part and to trust that God will do His and remember that the God who has called us into this fellowship is faithful. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this example that Paul has set for us. Some simple, caring, pastoral words for us as the church today. God, you've set us apart. That you set us apart to be different in this world and to put aside our differences that we can focus on the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. God, I pray today that you would help us to really think about this and pray through it as we journey through this week and the weeks ahead. And God, if there's someone in this room today that in their mind and heart says, you know, I'm, I'm not on that team for God. I, I, I'm not, I haven't made that decision yet, God, that you would prompt them to step out and make that decision for faith today, to commit their life to Jesus Christ and to become part of this church in Jesus' name.